And it's time once again for On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio. And our guest this week is playwright, dramaturg, writing coach, and much more, Lindsay Price. Lindsay has over 50 plays published through her company, Theater Folk. She's had over 400 productions across the world in 2013 alone, and works also as a writing coach, dramaturg, and adjudicator. We started off by observing her busy, busy, busy life, and wondered how she managed to keep it all in line. What you did seemed kind of interesting in, in more than one respect, but the thing I guess that that caught my attention first and kind of actually frightens me a little bit is that you sound horribly organized. <laughs> That's because I don't sleep. Um, you know what? It's and it's also been I've been doing it for 19 years, so it, it's taken. It, this is not a new. This is not new. This is a. This has been a long, long, long process to sort of get to a place to, I guess, be productive. Okay. I, did you? You say it took a long time. I mean, does this mean you're not naturally organized? No, not at all. Okay. No. I love to be, I like being, well, it's kind of weird because I like being lazy, but then I also love to work. So it's a, it's a dichotomy that uh, I fight every day. I, I understand that. I, I have moments where I don't want to do anything. And there are times when I just get myself so worked up that you yeah. can't, can't pry me away from the computer with a bomb. That um, is it. That's it to a T. Okay. <laughs> so you're, I'm assuming that all you're writing is, is neatly put away in folders, but your house is a mess. Well, I get someone else to clean my house <laughs> so that I don't, <laughs> it's called do, getting other people to do, to do the jobs that I despise doing. You seem to be quite prolific. Um, we'll get into the type of material in a second, but how many plays do you have out there? Uh, I, I'm embarrassed to say, but I don't exactly know because there's a number sitting in drawers as well, but uh and I also write a lot of one acts, so it's a little, it's a little, it's not a real rep. Want, not that's not true, uh, but I have about sixty, uh, sixty plays made okay. up of full lengths and one acts and um, um, ten minute play compilations. So that's gotcha. the number I put out. We know the one act, or now now they're calling them one act, and to me that's a little bit bit misleading because. When I think of a one act, I think of something that's longer than 10 minutes or 15 minutes. To me, anything that length should be called a 10 or 15 minute play, but a lot of people call them one acts and that's perfectly fine. Right. But um, do you have more one acts or full acts? And which ones do you prefer to write? I have more one acts because the particular um, niche that I write in uh, of high schools and uh, and schools and student performers, I write a lot for competitions. So the competition length one act is about 35 minutes. So that is what I have most of because that is what sells the most. Gotcha. Um, and I, I quite enjoy writing shorter because it forces me to be efficient mm -hmm. and it forces me to bring a character to life instantly there's not the the luxury of a full length where you can sort of draw out a character draw out a story you know over a couple of hours you have to bring them to life and to light instantly with maybe a sentence or two and that challenge i find pretty intoxicating i love being efficient with words so I quite love it. But then because maybe because I don't do them all the time, it's almost a treat 
to to have that luxury and to write a full length. I write a full length probably about one every two years or so. I finished, I did one this year, so um, I don't have plans to do another one. And then just doing all, and doing the different kinds of genres I really enjoy too. I think the thing is, I just like to write. I, I love it myself. I don't get the time to do that uh, nearly enough as I'd like because at my particular station where I am at this point, there's just too much of life butting in. And lately you've been sending around a couple of emails asking we writers, us writers, we writers, do we write enough and why not? What kind of responses have you, have you been getting? The whole notion of life getting in the way is the one that really re has resonated and that the people really, they want to write more and, and there are, there is family and there is a lot of people who don't write full time. They have jobs and there is, there is so much that can easily get in the way. I think that's the big thing is that people want, there's a want that, that doesn't necessarily get fulfilled. But then there's also the people who, who say they want, but are, they're the ones who put obstacles in their path. You know, they're the ones who say, well, I'll write tomorrow. I know that full well. I know, I know full well that if I don't watch it, I could go a week or two or three or four without writing. And I'm pretty conscious that it has to be, it works best when it's a consistent habit. So do you find it that it's, it's, you have to strictly regimen yourself in order to be in front of, you, you write on computer, correct? Uh, I, I create a pen and paper. I oh. can't create on computer. Excellent. I have notebooks. I have piles and piles of notebooks, and I always carry one with me. Although, having said that, I just started. There's a a, a Google app called Google Keep that I ha have on my phone, so that if I'm somewhere and I see and I because I do a lot of observation, I do a lot of observational based writing, right. and if I see a sign or I see I overhear a line or something sparks my eye. Uh, more often than not, my phone is closer to me than anything else, and then I can just tap it out. And then I don't have to go and find that scrap of paper, you know, right, and right. figure out what it was. It's uh, it's been it's been a very um, interesting experiment. It's basically just a it's it's exactly like index cards, uh, only only on your phone. So I've just been I collect the these smatterings of inspiration that sort of come my way and it's all collected in one place and it's also syncs with uh, uh, uh online as well if you want it to oh that's wonderful yeah that's that that would be a critical item for me because again it's half the time i can't find my phone you know how it is we walk around and something occurs to us we we may never use it but it's extremely but handy for us to just to put down sentences and concepts well, and if you don't, it's gone. Like I'm, oh, I, don't, yeah. I, have, I have no memory. I have none, none whatsoever. And I know myself enough now to know that if I don't write it down in that exact instant, um, it'll, it, it'll go. And, and, you know, and I'm no, no worse for it. Cause I forget, but, uh, I like having these, these, these instant flashes, um, or this, this thing that comes across my path, I find really important to my writing. I think that's what makes it, it's the little specific details that make writing really come alive. And I think the only way to, to have those specific details is to be out there and sort of experiencing life. For me, there, there are two kinds of things that I write down. One is, Ooh, this is a great idea for a play later on in life. So, you know, I, I write down, okay, penguin at the door carrying a watermelon, you know, and I, I probably never use it, but 
when I'm thinking about something that I'm actually working on and this little epiphany comes to me, I get this little bit of character development that I didn't see before or I get a mechanism that works in scene three, act two. I know it's critical for me to actually get it down. And like you said before, if you lose it, you lose it. It's gone. I find I solve more uh, second draft problems walking than sitting in front of the computer. Uh. Like I, I always, uh, if I go walking is one of my one of my best tools, <laughs> mm-hmm. just like just getting outside and just like being in a different space and just sort of not even like consciously thinking about it, just sort of casually thinking about a problem or just being observant or just sort of uh, being in a in a different headspace and uh, that knot that was there will pretty much unravel itself. And then if I don't have something to write down, <laughs> it's gone. Yeah, I know. That's happened to me more than a few times. And those are life moments that I wish I could get back. You know, it's just <laughs> give, give me that bolt of inspiration because now I got to think of something else. Um, physical activity, you think it's critical to writing? I do. I do. I run. Um and uh, that's the worst. The worst is when I come up with something interesting on a run because then I have to I have to just I basically just repeat it over and over and over again until I get home. But uh walking walking really works for me. I, I don't even I, I don't know if it's just oxygen in your brain that is uh that's moving things around and making uh making your thought process a little different. I have no scientific I have no scientific background or knowledge. It just works for me. For me, it's driving. Ah. When I'm on the road, my mind goes 16 different places. And I'm con- when I'm in the middle of writing a play, which I am now, and I'm at a thorny point, which is about a third of the way through, because I've got the beginning, I've got the ending, I've got the concept, I'm thinking of the obstacles that happen in between. How do we get from point A all the way to point Z? That's what I'm thinking about when I'm on the road. I've got a half an hour, 40 minute commute between my house and where I do most of you know my life living. And it's pretty much a straight road, country road. There's not a whole lot of traffic, but that's where my head goes. The occasions where I've had to actually stop, pull over, get the voice, you know, the, the, the tape recorder out or the, the notebook, um, I could stop five or six times in a trip. Right. I have to be very careful because I can I can certainly go there when I drive and the number of times where I'll be my my eyes will come back to the road and I'll be like, I've been thinking and I don't mm-hmm. actually know so it's like eh, I gotta stop that. <laughs> What's well, a question? How did I get here? Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> What's your writing schedule? The th- um well it all depends on on what I have going on. My favorite time to write to do something is first thing in the morning. Mm. So I will get downstairs and I will uh, make myself a tea and then don't open email, don't open Facebook, get something done. And I'm not a real stickler for, I have to write for hours. Sometimes I'm real happy if, if I have a good 15 minutes and then I have to go do something else with my day. There's other things that have my attention. I'm, I'm perfectly content that with that, as long as something happened, I think that that's, that's really, uh, that's really Im- important to me. What happens when something doesn't happen? Cause this is going to lead yeah. into my next question. Yeah. You let it go. It's uh, um, because it's impossible to be, it's impossible to be productive every single day. It's impossible for think life happens, right? Right. Um, sometimes it's just as, as little as oh, I get to write down one observation. If something happens, I'm, I'm real big into small things, small steps, uh, small victories. 
I don't need to, um, I don't need to overcome huge, uh, the hugeness on a consistent basis. I'm pretty happy with the small. For a lot of non-writers will ask me this and some writers will, but mostly non-writers, they'll ask what I'm working on and I'll tell them a little bit because I never give anything really away. And they say, how's it coming? And my usual answer is slowly, but magnificently. Uh, Yeah, right? They say, well, do you have a case of writer's block? I thought about this for years. It's never really happened to me where I couldn't think of something to write down. But the concept itself of writer's block is has always been a major factor in a writer's life. Do you believe in writer's block or is it like you've said, not everything happens every day and some things might take a little longer to gel, solidify, you know, become full flesh? Yeah, I don't I don't believe in in writer's block because if there's something I'm stuck on, I know enough that it's better to let it go. It's better just to, to hang on and just like maybe move on to something else. Um, I do a lot of different types of writing. Like I write blog posts and I write um, educational materials. I, I've come to really be interested in writing lesson plans and, and writing rubrics, uh, which it's, it's a very different type of thinking. And that kind of helps. I think that's actually helped my writer's brain to sort of shift my brain into a different area, still be writing, still be creative, but it's completely different. And I'm, I'm pretty happy just sort of moving from one, one thing to another thing to a different thing. And then by the time I come around to that piece of writing where I might be stuck, uh, usually something happens. And if there's something that, if it's not happening, there's lots of exercises that I use, like, like questions, like asking questions, like, uh, making sure my characters are as fleshed out as they need to be. Um, looking at moments before there's lots of little tricks and tools to do something. And I think that's the most important thing. Something has to go down on the page. It doesn't do anybody any good to, to let that block rule you. What is the difference between writing for adults and writing for high school and middle school students? Well, uh, I I don't know if there's much difference. You can't, you know, you generally there's 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 more there might be more limitations. You can't obviously you can't write about a midlife crisis. You can't um more often than not you can't swear, which I'm not real uh, that's not my language profile anyway. Um but they've got uh, a lot they've got dreams and desires and problems. And that's basically what I focus on. I think that at their emotional core, the teenager of 2014 is is no different than the teenager of 1985 when I was 15, no different than 1967. You know, things have changed around them for sure. And there's there's lots of, you know, technology all on its own is, has changed the world so completely. But Essentially, a, a teenager has has feels the same, and that's kind of what I focus on. That when I write, and and when I get comments back like, "Well, you must be a middle school teacher because you know these kids so well," or "How do you how do you know what I'm thinking?" and uh, that's those are the best compliments I can receive because it means I'm writing um, genuinely and with sincerity. And I always put my stuff in front of students to make sure I am being sincere and to make sure I am being genuine and I'm not saying anything that, that they wouldn't say, which is a good uh, litmus test. So do you find that the people who request your materials, therefore your primary audience, is teachers or students themselves? 
Uh, teachers, which is a funny um, balance because you have to write a play that's going to be accepted by a teacher, but it also has to be relevant and suitable to the student performers because they're the ones who are going to bring it to life. It's a very interesting balance because, of course, there are there are some things that students would love to do that no school board would ever allow. It's a, <laughs> you know. Probably, sure, yeah. I mean, at, at that age, they are... I've heard teachers use euphemism or, or descriptors from unbelievably difficult to incredibly energizing. And I think it's a healthy mixture of both because they are entering a huge life change. They are discovering adulthood. They are, they are going through bodily changes. They are turning from children for whom mostly everything has been done for them into finding ways to do things for themselves. And it's a heck of a challenge. So... When your teachers request something, I'm assuming they have a specific agenda in mind. How does that reconcile with what the kids are willing to relate to and become a part of? Well, I think that's with the individual teachers. And a lot of the teachers that that I work with, they know their students really well. And um, they, as I've been writing for this length of time for them, they've been working with them for for this length of time, and and that's sort of where their mo comes from, and usually they they uh, they have they have very specific needs when they're looking for plays. They have I have more girls than guys. I have um, we need to do a cross curricular project. Uh, I have seven I have seven students. I have thirty seven students. It's um, it's mostly. About those those barometers are, are usually what's coming into play when they pick something, and it's really it's really interesting. It's it's never, I never get um, uh, pushed aside because of who I am as a writer. Uh, they're always just looking at the play, which is really kind of refreshing. It's like it's my work has to stand alone, and my work has to have a certain standard, and my work has to. Um, meet a criteria and that's what that's what's being that's what it's being judged on you know the work stands alone which is great well uh when you were a high school middle school student what was your exposure to theater were you writing at that particular point had you seen theater was it a part of your life uh not a lot i uh we had a lot of musicals uh in the home uh, a lot of a lot of records which dates me but uh <laughs> i had a large collection of musical records and i think that's kind of where i didn't start writing until uh university and in our college so i wanted i thought i wanted to be an actor and i thought that was going to be my life and um that was not going to happen. I wasn't, I was never, I was never an ingenue type when I was that age and I didn't really want it. I didn't really want to work for it as, as hard as I, I should have. And it was when I discovered writing that I found the passion and the drive to want to work for it. You know, it's, I, I, I write a lot because I like it. And I, people ask me that a lot, actually. It's like, you know, why, you know, how is it that you write so much? It's like, well, that's my job. That's what I, that's what I do. And it, I, I think it's important to, to write a lot. Um, 
but in high school and middle school, I, I actually didn't have a, a lot of theater experience. I wanted a lot of theater experience, but just the schools that I ended up at and the teachers that I ended up with, I never really found a theater home, not till, um, not till college, not till I found other like-minded people and then spent um, many years in my 20s uh, touring uh, as an actor in a, in a, in a little in a station wagon across country mm. doing festivals and uh, um, just, just doing, doing a lot of hands-on practical um, being involved with theater. And it's been that way for 20 years, 20 plus years. What was the first play you ever wrote? I wrote a play called Among Friends and Clutter, which is actually, I still, it still gets produced to this day, which is, uh, I find hilarious just because it, it's, it's, we're talking 91. So however long ago that was. And I wrote it only because I was supposed to direct a play at a community theater and the play that I had chosen, we just didn't get the, the, there wasn't, there wasn't enough people. There wasn't the right, the, uh, the right character, people to fit the characters. And I very naively said, well, I'll just, well, I'll just write something. I had done a little, a little bit of, scene work in a in a class that year uh, i was still in college and i just went i'll write it we'll improv stuff and we'll we'll cobble something together and we'll and we'll we'll see we'll see how it goes and it was relationship based it was all it was all um scenes on family life and uh love relationships and friend relationships and i sort of built a a shell around it and i, I have this very vivid memory of uh it was done in December, and I am sitting in this barn of a theater, this community hall, and sitting on the floor in the back of the theater, and there was a snowstorm, and there was a very small audience, and they laughed. And I remember that feeling to this day about what it was like to hear somebody connect and react to something that I wrote. Isn't and that the best feeling in the world? It's crack. It's like... <laughs> It's it is it is amazing, and it's amazing when you you sit in an audience and 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 actors are saying your lines, and you're like, "Who wrote that? Oh, wait a minute, it was me!" Like I I came up with that, and now it's alive. It's pretty brilliant. That's that's there's rarely a feeling that's better than that. So okay, I want to move on to something else, but since we just talked about this. What happens when you're sitting there in the audience and that line or two lines that you have in a play that you know are funny, you know, are, <laughs> just just don't get the laughs. I mean, what do you do? Do you change oh, them? You I... leave them in or just I because I know that there are lines in a couple of my plays that I know are brilliant. I'm, it's it's I'm, I can't read these things without actually laughing, but for some reason that's about as far as it goes. I've totally had that experience. It's in a school show, and I've seen it like four or five times, and it's just not working. Then maybe I'll think about it. But once it once it gets out there, as long as the the foundation is very solid, and as long as everything's being done in a in a again in a genuine and sincere manner. That's my, that's my MO. As long as I'm writing in a genuine and sincere manner, if there's something in there that I think is just lovely, but never gets a laugh, I'm just going to say, well, I think I'm the only person then who's going to laugh at that. <laughs> I'm going to leave it in. One of the things you do to earn your daily bread is writing coach, right? Yeah. Just uh, a dramaturgy. Dramaturgy. That's uh, that's a word that's I'd love to spend. Word. 
I love that word. I want to spend about nine episodes of my show on this. I was exposed to workshopping and dramaturgy as a neophyte playwright, and I've become such an acolyte of, of the process that I, I think it's absolutely brilliant. It's, it's the key to getting good plays out there because you do whatever it takes to make the play itself better. What's it like working with newer writers? I love it, and I love I love the analysis uh part of it. And I think that's, that was always the part that I enjoyed when I acted. I loved character analysis and script analysis and really diving in into a script. And, and I really enjoy that when I work with, with other writers and just looking at a scene and just start and start asking questions. Uh, I really believe it's not, it's not my job to, it's not my job to write the play. It's not my job to, uh, to change the play. It's my job to understand the playwright's intention. And if I understand what the playwright is trying to do, then I can say, Hey, here, your intention is very clear. That's really coming across here. It's, this is what you, you're telling me that you want. And that's not clear. And I think that is, it's, it really is about making the play the best it can be. Um, for the for the playwright, and uh, I love being a part of that. Giving feedback is uh, at at best it's tricky because playwrights are different. Some of them are touchier than others. Some of them are less sure than others. And it is the writing coaches slash dramaturgs task to uh, make the play itself as good as possible. Now dealing with writers of varying abilities uh do you ever find yourself searching for a way to 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 breach a gap to in order to connect to a certain writer uh to achieve that goal well sure because there are you know there are there are people who have who just operate in different ways uh i try never to first of all you just never get into I don't like this. This is not good. Cause that's just a, that's a losing proposition to tell somebody that you, you don't like something. And who are you actually to tell, who am I to tell anybody that, Oh, I don't like this. Well, what does that, what does that mean? You can't even, it's not concrete. It's not tangible. Who am I? How can I, it's not, it's not tangible to say to deal in likes and dislikes. And I think that is where you can solve a lot of those touchy issues with playwrights when you're just dealing in tangibles, like questions are tangible. Um, uh, impressions are, are, are what's being left. Um, you know, after I finish a play, this is how, this is the impression that I'm left with. That's a tangible thing for a playwright to move forward with. And it's all about moving forward. So as long as a playwright can get, grasp something and move it forward, then I've done my job well. And if someone doesn't want to make a change, that you know there's not there's not much that that can be done because we really need to particularly if in the in the time that I'm seeing scripts changes are 9 times out of 10 need to happen to move a play forward and when you understand that you're pretty I think I find that they're pretty open to it I have never been in a situation where 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 somebody flat out refused so that's pretty good I've been in situations where I've discussed this particular concept with um, mostly writers, mostly playwrights, but also with you know, other theater tech people, producers, stage managers, all that sort of thing. And I find every once in a while that I get these questioning 
almost pitying looks um, as if I'm reaching out for help to have somebody write my play for me by seeking the help of a dramaturg. And a couple of times, oh. yeah, a couple of times people have said to me, well, why are you asking somebody to do your work for you? Well, and then I would say to that, well, why does a football player need a coach? It's the same thing, <laughs> right? Like a fo- like every team, every sport on the planet has a coach, a litany of coaches. And um, they're not playing the game for that football player. They're trying to make them the best they can be. I like that answer. Uh, couple, yeah, well, that works. A couple of more questions <laughs> and I'll let you get out of here. Uh, and I'm going to sandbag you with this one. Um all right. It's, it's not. It's it's one of those questions that you know might be in politics, but I'm gonna hit you with it anyway. You're working with uh, a writer, and there's a script in question, and in your heart of hearts, you know the script just isn't gonna cut it. There's way too much work that needs to be done on it. It's uh, it's way less than what could optimally be expected to be a good script in the end. What do you do? Well, here's the thing. I've had people tell me my work's no good. And I've had people tell me this play could never be uh, improved. And I've never forgotten it. And I've overcome, um, you know, I have those voices in my head. I have a, a, a friend who just recently, just recently took a play out of her drawer after 25 years because someone told her it's no good. I'm never going to say that to a writer. Now, I will say um, there are there you you get all I do is I start asking questions. And, you know, when 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 I when I hand like 25, 30 questions over to a writer, they either see the issue at hand and know that there's work to be done, which has happened, um, or they they see the work at hand and they don't want to go down that path and you know that's their choice it's it's i'm not writing the play for them i'm giving them the opportunity to move down uh to move forward with the with a script in the best way that i can and that's with um with with more often than not with with questions and comments more than your play is not going to be any good. How do I know that? How do I know that? I've seen lots of plays where they've been pretty inferior first drafts and they've turned that boat around. So the boat can always be turned around. What kind of questions and comments do you give uh, writers? Just give give me character? What does this character want? Uh, What's what's standing in the way of what they want? What are they going to try and do to get what they want? Um, where does this character come from? How does this character live outside the world of the play? That's a big one where characters often, all they do is they exist between uh, the first word and the last word, and yet there hasn't been any thought about what happened to them last year or the year before or the year before that. Um, you know, there's the technical issues about how long would this scene change take? Um, what is the audience? What do you want the audience to get out of this play? What do you want them to be thinking about when they walk out of the theater? Um, what do you want to communicate to your audience? Plays are a communication. It is a communication between, um, between you and the audience. So what do you want to tell them? What do you want to, to show them? That's really big, and particularly in theater. We want to show, not tell. So how can we show this moment instead of uh, talk about it? That kind of stuff. Thanks. Do you accentuate, uh, accentuate uh, let's say, typical play structure, three-act structure, five-act structure, uh, rising action, denouement, all that sort of stuff? Nope. 
<laughs> I like I, I I'm a I'm a but I, that's because I'm a character driven playwright. So I I like character journeys. I like to know what the character journey is, and I'm always going to focus on. Uh, it's the thing. It's the it's the it's character and conflict. So what's the for me? Conflict is the thing in the way of a character getting what they want. What do they want? What's how? Why is it important? Why is it urgent? What's standing in their way? What do they do to overcome the obstacle? And that's sort of that's the journey that I take characters on, and I like to see characters go on. Lindsay Price, thank you so much for being on our show. Good luck with your writing and your writing coaching, and we're looking forward to seeing tons and tons of more work from you. Ah, thank you so much, George. And that's it for this week's episode of On Stage, Off Stage. I'm George Sapio saying thanks for listening. If you want to find out more about Lindsay Price, surf on over to www.theaterfolk.com. That's T-H-E-A-T-R-E-F-O-L-K.com. Or visit www dot lindsay hyphen price dot com l-i-n-d-s-a-y hyphen p-r-i-c-e have fun kids we'll see you next week